A grateful life flows from faith, joy, and confident strength that we've received from God. Let us pray. Father, as we reflect upon a grateful life this morning, uh, teach us from your prophet, Habakkuk, Lord, that we might see the fundamentals of living a grateful life in faith, where we find rest and joy, because you're the God of our salvation and confident strength. Lord, you make us sure-footed in the most difficult circumstances. So teach us and change us and conform us to your word. Lord, continue to make us a grateful people. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 3 as we read together verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Amen. This is God's word. Please be seated. We will take a break this morning from our sermon series on the book of of Hebrews. Uh, Today's message actually flows out of what we talked about last week. At the very end of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 29, we reflected on grateful worship. And today, the, the writer of Hebrews, or last week, the writer of Hebrews reminded us that faith and grateful worship are responses to being brought into that new covenant, that, that kingdom that is unshakable, that will last for eternity. And today we want to pick up on that theme of gratitude and think about what are the fundamentals of, of living a grateful life. Nathaniel Philbrick in his work, Mayflower, if you haven't read it, I would encourage you to do so, tells the story of the pilgrims, separatists, who sought religious freedom, who endured unbelievable hardship to establish Plymouth Colony. On September 16, 1620, they left England, sailing to the mouth of the Hudson River to settle in the colony of Virginia. But in the late stages of the voyage, disease had ravaged both passengers and crew members, and the captain decided to make for the coast as quick as possible. On December 26, 14 weeks after leaving England, they arrived off the shore of what is Provincetown in Cape Cod Bay. And later, they sailed along the coastline to Plymouth Harbor off of what would become Plymouth Colony. By the spring of 1621, half of the original group had died. Food supplies were critically low. The weather was extreme, and it was extremely cold. They lived in fear, constant fear, of being attacked by the native Americans. Unbeknownst to them, God would use those Native Americans as part of his means to save the pilgrims. 
William Bradford, the governor of the, of the colony, and he was governor for over 30 years, authored Of Plymouth Plantation. And in that, that great work that recounts this story, he writes, And for the season it was winter, and they that know the winters of that country know them to be sharp and violent and subject to cruel and fierce storms, dangerous to travel to known places, much more to search an unknown coast. Besides, what could they see but a hideous, desolate wilderness, full of wild beasts and wild men? If they looked behind them, there was the mighty ocean which they had passed and was now as a main bar and gulf to separate them from all the civil parts of the world. What could now sustain them but the Spirit of God and His grace? Our fathers were Englishmen, Bradford wrote, which came over this great ocean and were ready to perish in the wilderness. But they cried unto the Lord, and He heard their voice and looked on their adversity. And then Bradford quotes Psalm 107, our call to worship this morning. And I'll just simply remind you of verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. In the face of hardship, Bradford pointed his fellow pilgrims to God's goodness God's love, God's provision, and call them to live grateful lives, to be thankful. In the fall of 1621, as we all know well, the pilgrims, along with their new neighbors, shared a harvest meal that became the basis for our national holiday that we'll observe this week. The pilgrims' response to the situation in 1620 and 1621 is similar to that response that we find in the book of Habakkuk, who wrote in 1660 or 660 to 630 B.C. Facing confusion and hardship, Habakkuk learned to turn to God in faith finding rest in times of trouble, to rejoice not in the circumstances but in God, and to rely on the strength of the Lord, to live sure-footed and confidently regardless of the circumstances. As we have considered the example of our pilgrim forefathers, we now turn to the words of sacred scripture from Habakkuk that I believe give us three fundamentals for living a grateful life. First, Habakkuk learned the lesson of faith in God that enabled him to rest in the Lord regardless of the circumstances. Consider verse 17. Habakkuk described devastating circumstances, notes of despair and hopelessness ring out. The prophet lived in an agrarian culture, a culture that was somewhat similar to our pilgrim forefathers who, whose livelihood depended on their ability to grow food and to harvest game. He portrayed calamity, that is circumstances, 
either personal or societal or both that were terrible. In other words, his description points to the fact that the economy was collapsing. No crops, no harvest, no livestock, no way to make a living, no food, no, no resources, nothing for which any right-thinking person would be able to give thanks. His words in verse 17, pointing to a day where devastation would come to Judah because of their sin. The, the Ukrainian people have faced devastating circumstances that might reflect verse 17 as they can continue to struggle in this ongoing war with Russia. People in our own country out west who have faced wildfires, people that live on the east coast or the gulf coast who have endured hurricanes, even this most recent hurricane in Florida, those who have suffered tornadoes in our part of the world, lost everything, might have a sense of, of what verse 17 feels like. Individuals and families who face financial devastation, health issues, relationships that have broken apart may feel they are living through verse 17. Wouldn't you say along with me that the last couple of years through this pandemic have been verse 17-ish? Difficult? Trying? The current trouble in the world's economies, including our own, the increase in crime, the, the dramatic increase in the use of medications for depression and anxiety, even reflected in the uptick of antidepressants for pets, simply point to the, the issues, the difficulties of our day, depression, anxiety, troubles galore, it seems. Verse 17 might be what describes much of our lives today in this world. Be it the loss of a loved one or a job, a nest egg, or spiritual health issues due to just our sin, life sometimes can look like a war zone or the aftermath of one of those wildfires out west. I, I, I do not mean to point a bleak picture, but it's life. Life is often hard and painful, and it's okay to feel the pain. It's okay to experience the angst, but we mustn't stay there. The people of God have hope. We are called to lift our eyes from the circumstances that may trouble us and to lift our eyes in faith to the Lord Jesus who calls us to the throne of grace to receive help and mercy in our time of need, Hebrews 4. To lift our eyes to the one who is sovereign over our circumstances. 
So why would Habakkuk speak about these troubling circumstances? Why would we speak about the troubling circumstances that might reflect verse 17 in our day? The backdrop to verse 17 is a unique, unique dialogue between the prophet and God. Judah was experiencing a time of economic prosperity, but it was also a time of wholesale spiritual decline because the people tended to break God's covenant and to do so time and again. Injustice, not justice, was the order of the day. To Habakkuk, God seemed indifferent to the sins of his people. In light of this, Habakkuk complained to God. If you turn back to chapter 1 of Habakkuk and look at verse 4, he says this, The wicked being surrounded by the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. In other words, Habakkuk cries out, God, why aren't you doing something about the injustice in our world today? So God answered by bowing to raise up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians as his tools to discipline and punish Judah. So, so God answers uh, Habakkuk's question. And then Habakkuk complains again to God, questioning, God, why are you using the Chaldeans and the Babylonians who are really bad people to discipline Judah who aren't that bad? So Habakkuk just complained that the people were bad. But now he's complaining, they're not that bad. But why are you using a people even more wicked than Judah to punish Judah? Do you think Habakkuk was a bit confused with the purposes and plans of God? Do you think he was struggling just a little bit with God's sovereignty? By the way, don't we struggle with God's, God's sovereign plan? Don't, aren't we confused sometimes by by his purposes? I am. So this second complaint we'll find in chapter 1, verse 13. And God answers again that he will use this puffed up idolatrous nation that is not upright as his tool to punish Judah. In verse 4, or in chapter 2, verse 4, we learn that God said that, that Babylon and Chaldea are not like my people, the righteous faith. They don't live by faith. They're not righteous. And even though I'm going to use them to punish my wayward people, I am going to bring woe and judgment upon Babylon. And by the way, God did. God used Babylon to punish Israel, Judah, and then God brought woe and judgment upon Babylon. But Habakkuk is looking to all these things in the future, struggling with what God was doing. And so what is always a good response is to pray. Habakkuk responded in prayer, asking God for new demonstrations of his wrath and mercy that he had done in the past. You find that in chapter 3 of Habakkuk. And then in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16, as 
Habakkuk is winding down his prayer to God, he says this, I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. In other words, Habakkuk is saying, I'm going to quietly wait. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to live by faith. As God uses Babylon to punish Judah, and then as God brings woe upon the people that he used to punish Judah, those people who invaded us, Babylon. The lesson of Habakkuk is not never question God when life hurts. That's not what Habakkuk is teaching us. Rather, he is teaching us, even as you grapple with understanding God's sovereign ways, quietly wait, verse 16. Quietly wait in faith. Quietly wait in faith, trusting God. As he unfolds his plan, as he fulfills his purposes, even if that means Babylon invading Judah. Living by faith is the lesson that Habakkuk learned. And it's the lesson that we need to continually learn over and over again. Because it's so easy for us to fail to live by faith. And when we live by faith, as Habakkuk. We find rest in the most devastating of circumstances. Verse 17. The passage Brandon read earlier from Ephesians 2 just simply reminds us that we are saved by grace through faith. And that even the faith that we, that we exercise is a gift from God. God is working through that gift of faith and he powerfully saves us. And we should be thankful for the gift of faith. But the lesson today is this. Faith is not only something for which we should thank God for, but it also is fundamental to living a grateful life. And especially living a grateful life when life hurts. When the circumstances are difficult. Living by faith, resting in the Lord, is fundamental to living a grateful life. And if we lack gratitude, it may mean that we're struggling in trusting God. Robertson's massive biography of the life of General Thomas Jackson, Stonewall Jackson, depicts the general's faith in God. His Jackson was a Presbyterian, <laughs> and he believed God was sovereign. He trusted in God sovereignly, bringing about his plan and his purposes. At the end of one of the great battles, the, the battle of First Manasseh, one of Jackson's captains came up to him, horrified that the whole time the battle was raging, the general was on his horse, just out in the fray, unprotected, bullets and cannonballs flying everywhere. And Jackson was stonewall, sitting like a stone wall on his horse, seemingly not bothered by bullets and cannonballs whirling about. And so this young captain said, General, how in the world can you be so calm? 
And this is how Jackson responded. Captain, my religious belief teaches me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. God has fixed the time of my death. I, I, I do not concern myself about that. But to be always ready, no matter when it may overtake me. Captain, that is the way all men should live, and then all would be equally brave. And I give that example that some would think is a pretty radical example just to show that, that when we really trust God and rest in his sovereignty, in every circumstance, we will be equally brave. We will be faithful. We will be at rest. By faith, we rest in God's sovereign plan and purposes, irrespective of the circumstances. So a grateful life is founded on faith, joy, and confidence in God. Now, secondly, faith in the Lord produces joy in the Lord. Yet, says Habakkuk, look at verse 18. Even though the circumstances are devastating, Habakkuk had been enabled to wait patiently. That is, to believe, to have faith, trusting God to unfold his plan and to fulfill his purposes. Faith produces joy uh, amid the the trouble of verse 17. Having said, I'm waiting, I'm quietly waiting on you, Lord. I'm trusting you, Lord. I'm believing in you, Lord. In the midst of all of these troubling circumstances, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, the God of my salvation. Habakkuk's choice clearly was not in the circumstances. How, how, how could it be? Those circumstances gave no reason for joy. His, his joy and his rejoicing was not over the circumstances, but in God, who is the God of his salvation. You know, happiness is often understood as being linked to circumstances, where truly joy is not linked to the circumstances of life. Joy is rooted and focused and has its foundation in God. Why would Habakkuk describe God as a God of his salvation? I will sacrifice what I have, and I hope, if, even if it means my life for the well-being of my family, and especially my wife, so don't mess with her. They are mine. I love them. I'm sure the same is true for you as you reflect upon your loved ones. God's love is so much greater for his family than my love for my family. I may think I would give my life for my family, and likely I will not be asked to do so. But Jesus did give his life for his family. He gave his life that God's people might have eternal life, that they might have a hope, they might, might have a home in heaven. The God of our salvation means this, no, no matter what the circumstances, as devastating as they may be, they are according to my sovereign plan and purposes. But remember, I'm the God of your salvation, and therefore you are safe in my hands. I have a plan for you, and my plan for you is good. And that ultimate good is reflected in eternal life with an eternal home. 
Think about being in a difficult circumstance and knowing that your joy is rooted in the God of your salvation, the one who has done everything for your good, your eternal good. What an encouragement that is. What a, what a foundation that is for us to live a grateful life. What a reason for us to rejoice. The God of our salvation. And this is the reason we rejoice. Even in, in the midst of trouble, he is working all things for our good. Romans 8, 28. Well, we should thank God for the joy we have in the Lord. The, the lesson of Habakkuk shows us another fundamental fundamental of living a grateful life is rejoicing in the Lord regardless of the circumstances yet I will rejoice in the Lord many of you know Dan Allender he wrote the healing path and a number of other books and the healing path he, he it's a hard book to read he tells the, the story the stories that are that are really heart-wrenching the stories of abuse and the effect that the abuse had on the victims. For so many, he writes, that they, they, they suffer in vain and experience despair and fear and hopelessness by failing to see suffering, considering God's salvific sovereign work. He, he writes, suffering, writes Allender, need not destroy the heart. It has the potential to lead to life. God invites us on a healing journey through the valleys and over the cliffs of an evil world. Allender I would say, in the spirit of Habakkuk, points us to the lesson of faith that enables rest in the most difficult circumstances. And in the most difficult circumstances, even the horrendous circumstances that, that Allender tells about in the healing path, for the believer who trusts the Lord, even that victim is, is able to rejoice, not in the circumstances, by any stretch of the imagination, but in the Lord, who is sovereign over them. Eleanor calls belief. This is this is helpful. Eleanor calls believers to not suffer in vain, but rest in the hands of a loving and sovereign God, who is using the difficulty for your holiness. God's more concerned, as C. Michael Storms has said, with our holiness than our happiness. And Alan would say, don't suffer in vain. Trust the Lord. Rejoice in Him. And submit to His work in your life to make you holy. He has a plan and a purpose for our lives. In the most difficult of circumstances is God's way of bringing his good plan and purposes for us about. And as crazy as it may sound, these difficult circumstances are reasons for joy, not because of the circumstances, but because of God who is sovereign over them and who is sovereignly using them in our lives. Faith is a foundation for living a grateful life. Joy is a foundation for living 
a grateful life. And then thirdly, strength. God enabling us to be sure-footed, to live confidently, is a foundation for a grateful life. Verse 19, for the sure-footedness of the deer, we learn three things about our confidence being in God. First, God is my strength. He's the Almighty. Second, the Lord's strength enables a steady and persevering walk for the believer. And then thirdly, a steady walk enables one to tread the high places. Isaiah 40, verses 28 through 31. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. He increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord, there's that word wait again. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. When I think about this passage, I think about the big horns, also called the mountain sheep. They have an amazing ability to climb and to jump. Much of its life is lived on the steep slopes of the high mountains where other animals and people like you and me can't, cannot go. And if we do, we'll stumble and fall. They navigate the steep slopes in winter as if they were navigating the valleys during the spring. They're amazing animals. The sure-footedness of the sheep is what I envision in verse 19. Habakkuk uses the deer. That's his context. It's the same principle. God's powerful enabling of his children by faith, causing them not only to live through difficult circumstances with joy, but to live through circumstances sure-footed, confident in him, with power. I, I just love the imagery of the Isaiah 40 passage, renewing our strength that we would mount up with wings like eagles, Soar the heights. People who are struggling with cancer. People who are struggling with other things. The loss of loved ones. Over the years, I've had the privilege of coming alongside people who have lost loved ones. And it seems like everybody else is, is falling apart around them because of the pain of losing a loved one. But the one who has lost a loved one is sad and sorry, but, I, but I've noticed that there's a strength there. It is a strength from the Lord to go through the circumstance, a difficult circumstance, sure-footed. And that's just a, a lesson to me, to, to, to be reminded God is in the business of of making his people soar like an eagle. Even when his people struggle with cancer, even when his people struggle with all kinds of issues with other people, even when we have financial difficulties, even when it seems like the world is collapsing around us, the Lord has promised to make us sure-footed. 
or we should give thanks for God's power. Habakkuk helps us see living confidently in the strength of the Lord. It's, a fundam- it's fundamental for living a life of, of gratitude. So I, I, I began <clears throat> with the story of our, of our pilgrim's father and first Thanksgiving, and, and we should remember that every year. I think it's a story worth telling every year, just to remind us of our forefathers, of especially our forefathers seeking religious freedom, going through such hardship, and giving thanks. But equally important is another story. I've told this story in the past, but I think it's a story that we should tell every year. 1636 is a terrible year. About the same time frame as the pilgrims were journeying to the new world. It was a very dark period. Thirty years' war was going on. Many of the, the parishes were ravaged by war, by disease, economic disaster. A German pastor, Martin Brinkhart, buried nearly 5,000 parishioners in one year. He averaged 15 funerals a day. In the darkest period of that year, with cries of suffering ringing out all around him, he was with his children at their supper table. And this is what he said. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices, whose wondrous things had done, in whom his world rejoices, who from our mother's arms hath led us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Faith, joy, and sure-footedness when the world seems to be falling in around you. That's what a grateful life looks like. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your provision of faith. We thank you for the, the produce that comes from faith in our life being joy. And we thank you that through faith you strengthen us, not with some power, but with your power, that we might be sure-footed, confident in you in the most difficult situations. Our Father, uh, a, a grateful life is founded on the pillars of faith and joy and confidence. Remind us of these things. Grow us in these things. May our lives be founded on these things that we might more and more live a grateful life. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now,